Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 85 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 20, Chapter 17, End Times, The Clash of Two Kingdoms. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Good morning, graduate students of the kingdom of our God. We do welcome you here today as we are studying the Word of God. It's really an honor to be here, and it's uh, an honor to stand before you talking about a perfect God, a perfect gospel with an imperfect and very flawed vessel. But it just so happens that's the way God does things, isn't it? Amen. So I'm assuming everyone understands that as we move forward. We're speaking about as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. That's where I, the reason I think that we're graduate students here in the Word of God today. I think that the second coming of Christ is intimate. It's right upon us. You know, there's some debate about the second coming of Christ. Some believe that the second coming of Christ happens when you get born again, and there will be no literal second coming. That's a huge belief structure of some teaching. That's in replacement theology also, a heavy version of it. There will not be a literal second coming. There's some that believe that he's second. He's in your heart. We know Jesus speaks about it. The kingdom of God is in us, is in our heart. Paul speaks about that the glory of God, the Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so some interpret that to mean that Jesus was never talking about a literal kingdom. That's where the disciples, they're saying, missed it. They just totally missed it. They didn't get what Jesus was saying. The only problem with that is the disciples were being totally obedient to what the Scripture said, and they did get revelation of it being in their heart. But it's like, I am an American, and it's in my heart that I'm an American. I'll be very honest with you. I'm, I'm so glad I was born here. I was given the opportunities of America. It must not be too bad. Everybody's trying to get here. And so I am an American, and it is in my heart, but there is a real America, American, the country of America. So just because I have a love and longing of it in my heart doesn't mean there's not a, an actual country of America. Just because the, the kingdom of God's in my heart and in me, it doesn't negate all the scriptures that God gave to Abraham. He gave to David. He promised Abraham that a seed of the nation Israel promised David and, and Abraham a land. David a king that would sit on that land and rule and reign. That was all literal. But when you go into replacement theology, everything turns into an allegory. You just, everything symbolizes or it's an allegory, so therefore you don't take it literal. The church got into that real big with Catholicism when Christianity became the religion of Rome. So it turned into replacement theology really heavy, and uh, I might touch on that a little bit more even today, but I'm going to move forward here. With that in mind, I want to give you just a, a phrase or two here. Well, actually three or four, what we would call a famous uh, man said, I would like for you to tell me who it is. This is, uh, I guess, uh, Jeopardy in a way. We know the four horsemen is how is what we've been in, and we're getting ready to move out of that and to move forward this morning. A man once said, the Bible warns us against making precise predictions about the exact time of Jesus' return. But his return is certain, and we may well be living in the last days before he comes again. The Bible says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul goes on to say, shortly before returning to heaven, Jesus told his disciples that someday he would come back to establish his kingdom, but before that could take place, he said certain things would have to happen. 
And we see many of these today. For example, he said that before his return, the gospel must be preached throughout the world in Mark 13.10. Never before has this been possible, but now it is through radio, internet, and modern means of communication. Now, this is a quote, and I'm certain that many will find out who this is. Here's another one. You also have placed your finger on another sign. Jesus gave Satan's final attempt to halt God's work through a massive onslaught of evil. Our world is no longer is so, no stranger to evil. Satan has always been working to stop God's plans, but God's enemies now have access to modern weapons of mass destruction, and no one can predict what the outcome will be. Jesus said, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, nations will rise against nation. Here's the last quote. The real question, however, is this. Are you ready for Christ's return? You can be by turning to Him and putting your faith and trust in Him. Don't take His warnings lightly, but commit your life without delay to Jesus Christ. Who said those things? You must have either have a prophetic gift or it was very obvious. Billy Graham. I've had people say, well, Billy Graham didn't believe in a literal second coming. Talked to the guy this week. I'm like, oh my goodness. It's obvious you've never listened to many of his sermons. Yeah, that was part of his of who he was. Okay, I'm going to move now out of the horses. I'm going to go into the last part of Revelation 6. We hit the four horsemen, and I'm coming out of it. This is uh, Revelation 6, 12. Right before 6, 12 is where you have the martyrs slain and all this sort of stuff is in the verses prior to 12 through 17. But I was going to move on into verses 12 through 17. There again, this is not an exhaustive teaching on the book of Revelation. I wanted to hit a couple highlights. I thought I could do it in three or four weeks. Now I'm like into three months, so I've really got to get on with it. And there again, I am still trying to do a summary, believe it or not. Uh, verse 12, I looked, and when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, and the sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. There are several references to this prophetic picture of what would happen. So here we see the sun. It speaks of the sun, which says in another place, it's, it's all darkened. The moon turns red to blood. And I'll get into that one just here in a moment. The stars of heaven fell to the ground as a fig tree drops its late figs, which is shaken by a mighty wind. We can see that this will be literal, but it also could be somewhat revelatory of angels in the spiritual sense of the stars falling. But I want us to look and do a, one way scripture is interpreted is we say scripture interprets scripture. So I have the other scripture here, which interprets what you're reading there. It's in Acts two sixteen. but this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your daughters shall prophesy, sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men see visions, your old men dream dreams. It's on my servants, my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven and above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor, smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before the great and notable awesome day of the Lord. So we, this was in Acts 2, and now we're viewing it as an end time scripture. But as you see in the beginning of that, we quote that quite often in these last days that God will pour out his spirit, and, and we understand that. And But as you get halfway through it, my servants, handmaidens, I'll pour out my spirit in the days, and they shall prophesy. Well, we do through verse 18 all the time, we quote it. But if you'll notice, very seldom is the last of that prophecy quoted. And it's, it's very understandable because the last part of that prophecy has not happened yet. The first part has. So 
either unbeknownst to everybody or just by led by the Spirit. The first part's happened, so we talk about it a lot. The last part has not happened, so we don't talk about it so much. But there's what we call a parenthesis. I've talked to you on parenthetical scripture, what happens with the Lord all through the scriptures and especially the book of Revelation. It's what we call parenthetical passages, which means parenthetical is just simply means a parenthesis. If you have a line, if you uh, if you have a sentence and you say, oh, I'm going to put a parenthesis, you have a, a thought, you're going to stick in there. And then with a parenthesis, the original thought sooner or later picks back up again. That's the reason in Scripture you call it parenthetical because the first, and that's just like the kingdom of God, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. The church or the day of grace for the last 2,000 years is parenthetical unto the prophecies of the Old Testament. This church, the day of grace that we're living in, what's called a mystery, called a secret by the Apostle Paul. And I've shown you through past months and years, that this day of grace is parenthetical unto the prophecies made unto the nation Israel. Satan did not see us coming. We're here, and he didn't know about us. The church, the gospel of the grace of God was not prophesied. It was a mystery. It was a secret, hid in God, Ephesians 3. And so God had a message or had a secret in the cross that he kept in the cross until the day he unveiled it, and then it turned into a parenthetical time. It was a secret. God inserted it into the prophecies unto the nation Israel. The nation Israel is still the chosen people of God. The nation Israel is still the time clock of the Scriptures. 2,000 years in the church, I'll call it Christendom. I don't necessarily, everybody in Christendom is not the church, but in Christendom, it was adopted that replacement theology that the church replaced Israel. They didn't have the revelation of the way God deals parenthetically. God, and I've said this before, God has a structure. He, I said this about Brian Cohn. He's an architect. And the scriptures has a spiritual architect to it. It will look like it's sometimes cumbersome, but God follows his same architect through the whole book. So it behooves us and is important that we catch on to what is God's architectural structures that in which he does things. And as we understand his architect and we understand how to read the blueprints, then everything makes, starts making sense to us. Does that make sense? And so it's very important that we understand. So when you get to the book of Revelation, when you're looking where you're doing God's word to not understand that God has this chronological story going on and all of a sudden, wham, he sticks something right in there. Doesn't appear to have anything to do with the story or anything else, but God's revealing a secret and it's parenthetical. So God sticks it in there and usually in a lot of these things, it catches us off guard. And then people try to then make some of the, some of the things that God does in his secrets and mysteries. People try to, what happens is you'll You'll take something that's parenthetical like the church and is, re, is replacing Israel. Just use that as an example. It's a big one. And so the, we'll use the church replacing the nation Israel. So automatically we say God is not, Israel's not God's people anymore. The church is. And that's what Hitler did in Germany. That was one of his things that he did to convince Christians that, I mean, it was basically all replacement theology then. And so then you have this you know, this movement against the Jews and Jews killed Jesus and all this sort of stuff. So it has to come 
from somewhere, and it's always not recognized the architectural structure and how God builds things in the Spirit. So here we see this parentheses, which has lasted now for around 2,000 years, and we know that in Romans 11, you know, it says blindness in part. I don't know if I put the Scripture up there or not. Maybe I did. We know in Romans 8, 11 that Paul says blindness in part has happened to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So Old Testament is that it, the Gentiles could come in to the life of God and having God as, as their God, you were called a proselyte. You could come into the synagogues as a Gentile. You could go through some things that would take you a while, and you could come into what was called a Jew. But for the most part, you came in, sat on the back row. That was the Gentiles' row. Then you could be and embrace Israel, and uh, but you were called a proselyte. Well, the Gentiles were to come through the gospel, and Jesus gave the 12 the Great Commission to take it to all the world. Well, what they were taking to all the world at that time was the gospel of the kingdom of God. It says it, the gospel of the kingdom. That's Abrahamic divinic covenant. They were to take it. They were just getting some glimpses of the cross of Christ. That's when the apostle Paul came on the scene. And the apostle Peter gave a murder indictment in Acts chapter 3 to Israel. You got Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes out into Jerusalem, preaches basically a murder indictment. You've killed the king. And if you'll repent of that, we will receive him again. So that was basically Peter's first message after Acts 2. And then the apostle Paul comes along, Acts 9, and Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. He even said this, in me first has this grace of God been experienced. So Paul was called up to third heaven, got a full revelation of the grace of God. He came back down. He told, he went to Jerusalem, told those guys, and Peter said, oh my goodness, we've got the completion of this message. And Peter said, I don't, some of the things that in the back, the last chapter of Second Peter, Peter declared, okay, some things that Paul's saying is a little hard to understand. That's what it said, tickles me. But we know that they're scripture because they've been validated with the signs of an apostle. In other words, he healed the sick and raised the dead and, and all that sort of stuff. And so we see then that parenthetically, what happened is the 12 lived out the prophetic scriptures, the mystery, the secret of the church in Jen. And Paul said, oh, wait a minute. I glory in the cross of Christ. Peter said, you killed the king. Paul said, but I glory in the cross of Christ. So we have these two messages that, that they came together in Jerusalem. And Peter said, yes, Paul's been with Christ. He's got further revelations. But then he said, he went on in Acts 28, 28. You can look it up in your Bibles. There's a prophecy there. And there's a prophecy that this blindness would come to the nation Israel. Nobody knew why or how. But the Apostle Paul, Acts 28, 28, declares that prophecy. And then we know that Paul didn't go to the Jewish synagogues anymore. In other words, the book of Acts lasts 30, 32 years. In that time period, Paul wrote four or five of his epistles. In every one of those epistles, he went to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He went to the synagogue first, and then he went to the Gentiles. Anytime after Acts 28, 28, chronologically, Paul didn't go back into a Jewish synagogue because he said, and then he wrote Romans, and he, he said, blindness in part has happened to the nation of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. He said, I glory in this mystery. So God had a, something parenthetical going on. He had a secret, and we're the secret. The church today is the secret. We're God's hidden punch, if you will, to Satan and to the powers of darkness. We've got this first part of this prophecy has been poured out on us. 
been poured out on us. It just so happens we're in the parentheses, and the last part hasn't happened yet, but it looks like it's coming upon us real soon. So when the fullness of the Gentiles, using Scripture, when the fullness of the Gentiles has been made full, then the parentheses closes, just like in a sentence that you're writing, and it picks right back up again with the first part of the sentence. Does that make sense? Now, that's the, ar- that's the way the architect of God's Word works. And I can show it to you over. And once you start seeing it, it just, it's just amazing. So anyway, with that in mind, as I'm going on now, I want you to understand this will be leaving the parentheses and what the world will look like. Now, with the parentheses, it has a beginning and an end when you're linearly putting it in a sentence structure like right here. But what happens in part of the architect of God's Word is when God pours in a truth, a previous truth, probably started 25, 30, maybe even 300 years before it's revealed. Just like with the nation Israel, you have, and the apostle, well, we can use the apostle Paul, the nation Israel. The apostle Paul came later in Acts 9. The outpouring of the Spirit was before. When God poured out His Spirit, Paul was going around killing Christians. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, does it? But you'll understand when, God, when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, you'll understand why Paul said, but I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I'm chief. He he said, I'm the number one sinner in Israel. That's what he was saying, if you keep it in the proper context. Paul understood he was, it's kind of like God said, I'm going to look down upon Israel and I'm going to find the biggest sinner I can find. And in him, I'm going to pour out this full grace of revelation. So God started with the worst sinner, called him up to the third heaven, slapped him down on the road to Damascus, gave him the revelation. So you can see why Paul said, I rejoice in the, in the cross of Christ. And Peter said, no, you killed the king. So they had to come together. They had several coming together, some of them disagreements. One of them, and you remember the scripture, but you'll understand it now. When Peter said, okay, Paul, Paul said, okay, Peter, you go to the Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. Remember that? That was a point of them fulfilling their full obedience into the Scriptures. The main thing I want us to see, though, as we're going through Revelation, I want you to know who you are. You're the parentheses. You are the mystery. You are the secret that was hid in God's heart before the foundations of the earth. Every one of us was thought of before the fall of Genesis chapter 3. That's big. That's huge. So we have to say, why is it, God, that you've put me here? See, what Satan tries to do is keep us tied up in all this turmoil of what about me? What about me? Materialism, what about me? I don't have what everybody else has got. What about me? I've been mistreated. What about me? So the enemy, his big onslaught today is selfishness, and I'll get into that in just a moment. All right, let let me, that's enough on the parentheses, but I I hope you are getting that. So we get into the sixth seal. Now, this is the last part of the prophecy of Joel. That's what I want you to see. Right here, you see parentheses, 2,000 years. I will show wonders in heaven, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. Now, I said Scripture interprets Scripture. So I'm I'm interpreting Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17, with the prophecy of Joel. Joel's prophecy way back in Joel (laughs) prophesied about these days. That's amazing to me. I mean, there's no way in happenstance that could happen. Do y'all realize the improbability of that happening? And not only did Joel have that prophecy and it was released, as it was obvious to me, Peter said, hey, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
And so here all of a sudden this thing's poured out. We're in it now. My concern, one of my concerns, is I do not believe that the church of Jesus Christ is walking in the fullness of the first outpouring of that prophecy. Church has been, we're tied up for some reason. I don't think the first part, I don't know if it's our mind, our brain, I don't know if it's rebellion, I don't know what it is, but the fullness of in these last days, are we in the last days? I'd say yes. Why has the last days lasted so long? Because we've had a 2,000 year so far parentheses. That's why. That's your answer. He says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my headmaids, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, a pouring out, he doesn't say he pours out with measure. He says he pours out. When you're pouring out a pitcher of tea, you usually got a glass under it. So it's measured. He says he pours out. So that means he's been pouring out for 2,000 years. He's, that means he's been pouring out on the Gentiles. And you can start understanding that as Gentiles, for some reason, we have been allowed this great favor of an outpouring of the Spirit. So we, we can say, a lot of people say, well, Alan, you're always talking about revival. You're always talking about, I have no choice because of pouring out of the Spirit of God is revival. And I think revival has been with us for 2,000 years. One way you can say, well, we're not waiting on revival, but we're waiting to walk in revival. We're waiting to walk in the outpouring. And we've seen tokens from here to there, time to time. My personal life, I've had this understanding that God was sovereign, so he poured me out a little bit of revival in my heart, only to discover that God said, I've been waiting on you a long time. It wasn't so much God pouring out upon me at this particular time, it's that God's always pouring out upon me. And for some reason, I finally lined up with the pouring out. I either opened my mouth up or I did something. I don't know what I did. I did this or something. I don't know. But then I feel that revival spirit. Y'all remember um, my friend from Indonesia, Mel Tari. And I asked him, he's a guy, y'all remember Mel Tari, wrote a book about the wind of the spirit, about the revival in Indonesia. But I asked him, I said, well, Mel, when did the revival stop there? And he looked at me like I used a curse word or something. He looked at me and said, what do you mean? He said, it hasn't ever stopped. I said, that was 20, 30 years ago. He said, it, it hasn't ever stopped. And he said, I, I go back for the celebration every year and it's continuing. It hasn't stopped. He said, when, when you run into revival, he said, the only way it can stop in your life is if you stop. The revival doesn't stop. So when he said that, perhaps elementary to some of you, but to me, it gave me a, it brought to my forefront knowledge and understanding that, you know, I think, you know, he's right. Right, revival's here this morning. It might be that we can uh, collectively tap into it, you know, perhaps. But for us to say God's withholding it would be reproach against this prophecy of Joel. It'd be a reproach against that scripture because we know the word of God says he's poured, he's poured it out, pouring it out upon us. And so I still submit to you the question. It seems to me that this day, this parenthetical church bride of Christ the bride of Christ is in the parentheses. It's parenthetical. See, Israel didn't see themselves as the bride. They saw Jesus as a king. We see Jesus as we're being betrothed by the bridegroom. We're, we're the bride. You see, you got once you start understanding the parenthetical revelations, a lot of them that Paul got, you start seeing that even though it's the same message, it's almost a little different message because our relationship unto him appears to be a little different, more of a bride. So I want us to see what's happening as we move forward, and it's important to see the parentheses lest you get confused. Now, 
going into the next verse here, it's in Matthew 24, there again, comparing Scripture with Scripture, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Then the sky rescinded as a scroll, it says there, when it is suddenly rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him, who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. That's another place that that's the same word the Apostle Paul says that you have not been created unto the day of wrath. One reason I am pre-tribulation rapture type guy is because that's the verbiage that's used, that you weren't appointed unto that day of wrath. Same wording that's about the wrath of the Lamb and yada, yada, yada. For the great day of His wrath has come and who is able to stand? Now, I want to throw in here I'm not going to do it yet, but I'm going to throw in here. Don't forget, there's a fifth horse in the book of Revelation. And Pastor said, hallelujah. <laughs> there's a fifth horse in the, in the... And I'm trying to get to that horse as quick as I can. And I find that I think, well, I need to... I don't need to get you there too quick. The seventh seal out of which the trumpets come. Now, we're going into the trumpets. Y'all know that chart that I had that showed the... Part of the structure of God is he uses the term seven a lot. When he has sevens in a structural sense. That stands for something. It means something. God gets on what I call a roll of sevens. And the book of Revelation is divided up into sevens. So, and that is just a whole teaching, which is just, it'll blow your hat in the creek. Now, the seventh seal out of which the trumpets come. So we start seeing that we have these seven trumpets that are spoken. And you know, I told you about that the seven trumpets are hid in the last seal. You remember that teaching? And in Revelation 8, 6 through 7, and the seven angels which uh, had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. They were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees uh, was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Now, What's happening there is, I'm, I'm going to give a little understanding to it, spiritual warfare and the clash of two kingdoms. We've got the kingdom of darkness here and the kingdom of light. The kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. And I've had people say, well, Alan, I get tired of hearing you talking about warfare all the time. And I'm just like you're just in the wrong class is all I know. Because this is not a class to make you feel good. I am not about positive thinking. Now, I am about thinking negative less. Can you hear me? That's a difference. Sometimes people are just so negative you can't stand to be around. You say, boy, they need some positive thinking classes. Now, the only thing they need to do is quit being so negative, right? But so there's a difference. I'm not trying to, to hype up Bible students. I'm, not, I'm just here to report unto you what the Word of God says, and that's, that's my call. But you're required to test it, too. <laughs> and that's what lets me off the hook. I can stand up here and say it. Now, it's life against death. Love against hate, creation against destruction. So what do we happen, see happen in the Middle East now? We know that when the nation Israel, 1948 is a big deal. Here, here, you, 2,000 years, we're 1,900 and some years. In 70 AD, Titus came through, Roman army, Titus, destruction to Israel, scattered the Jews throughout the whole earth. Uh, if you read some of Peter's writing, he said, this is written to the scattered children in the, upon the earth. You know that book when it was written. So you had Titus came through, scattered the Jews. And when he came through and, and scattered the Jews, they had been scattered until 1948. Now, that's a long time to be scattered, wouldn't you say? So the early church went into replacement theology. And in their defense, before you could take it literally, Israel had to be in their homeland before the prophecies work. It just doesn't work. You got Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant. Israel has to be in their homeland before you can, you can apply the prophecy. 1948, 
A lot of textbooks had to be thrown away. Some should have been revised, and most of them weren't done with either. So you had most of the church stayed in replacement theology. Then you had another group of people who believed in Joel, the prophecy of Joel, Acts 2. They started studying the scriptures, and uh, they started saying, Ooh, wow, Ooh, Israel's now back in their homeland. Hmm, Mike could start looking at the scriptures literal again. And so then you had different things risen. And what I like about the charismatic movement is the charismatic movement believes in Joel, prophecy of Joel, and believes in the word of God literally. And I like that. <laughs> I don't know about you, but so you see what happened in the somewhat, you had a movement that's happening in the last 30 years, let's say, some of them called the charismatic movements. It's been a lot of di- called a lot of different names. And I, I came into the the marriage, I guess you could say, of Word and Spirit. There was a move, there's a movement now called Word and Spirit. We believe in the Word of God literally. We believe in the Spirit of God that is tangible. And so with, with this movement, this would be of the movement of a full, more of a fullness of revelation of the Spirit. It takes the Word of God and it takes those that em, embrace the Spirit, more of the Spirit. Now, y'all, a lot of y'all have heard my testimony, but I was in a world that was a lot of Spirit, but it was not good Spirit. Uh, it was not good spirit. But then I was raised then in the Word of God type movement. But I had a problem with the spirit part because it seemed to me that it gets out of bounds too quickly. I saw a lot of things that it didn't appear to me to be of the wrong spirit. And so God did not teach me how to overcome that. God drugged me like my daddy drawing me to the woodshed. He just drugged me back there, gave me a good whipping. And I cried and I repented. And I've yet to understand it all. But I know God moved me from point A to point B. A lot of people think I embrace too much of the Spirit <laughs> now. But if you've been drugged like I had, you'd be, if I'm going to be guilty, that's where I'm going to be guilty. So a lot of people say, well, Alan, you're too, you allow for too much when people, I mean, you know, we've seen manifestations of the Spirit. And you know, there's a lot of places to be critical when you're talking Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. And I tend to err now on, I don't think you can overdo the Word of God and the things of the Spirit of God I'm still learning. And God's had me on a learning curve for about 35 years now, I guess. Gosh, you'd think I'd be further along than I, than I am. But nonetheless, the, God's been moving me on that learning curve of the Spirit. But we know that we have this type of battle going on. The spectators are a part of the game. That would be us. It is from them that light or darkness gets its courage. To discourage is to rob courage from someone. Notice what I mean by that. If you discourage people, it's because you lack courage and you're trying to get their courage. And so you believe if I can just discourage them, I must have courage. That makes sense? And so that's what I call, that's, that's what happens with accusations, discouragement. When we carry on uh, conversations of, of accusations, of criticism, and if that's our steady diet, what it is is you're spineless, you're weak, and you have no courage, but you're going to the wrong source to try to receive it. That's not how, but this is what's going to happen in these last days, and i got scripture for that. Now, the sign of Revelation 16, 12 is the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, uh, that the way of the kings the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits and devils uh, working miracles which go forth into the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather uh, them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So here we see that in the church, what we're to pray for, and our hope is, is that the discernment of the believers increases. We can, we can judge truth. We can judge error. We're getting into a, 
age and a time, I think, that just because there's a miracle happened, you can't necessarily equate it to God. That's just, that's the days that I think that we're, that we're getting in. So therefore, in times past, a lot of our marketing has been come to a miracle revival. Right? Come to a great miracle revival, God's going to do miracles. That, in, um, historically, that's what's happened in the spirit side of the movement of the gospel of Christ. But I think we're leaving that time. Not that I'm saying at all God's not going to do miracles. But I'll be very honest with you. The, the most miracles I ever saw in my life in one service, I was in outside of Mexico City. Some of you heard me tell this a little. I was outside of Mexico City. I went there when I had cancer. That church there, somebody gave them, well, as Maximino Moreno got worse for me, his mother always went to that church. It was outside of a big uh, landfill, a big garbage dump of Mexico City, and right on the other side of the hill of it, there was a gathering of believers every month or two months they would gather. And so she went and you had a place you could put a prayer request down, a little piece of paper or whatever. So when I went with Maximino 30 years ago, I guess, I went to visit his mother and his family. And we went to, I said, well, Mike, we were in Mexico City getting ready to go down to San Miguel. I said, can we go by the, where they, that little church, you know? And he said, well, yeah, yeah, we can go by there. He said, matter of fact, they're having a service tomorrow. And I said, well, gosh, that, that's really good. I don't know if y'all remember, y'all remember Steve Thompson. Actually, Steve Thompson went with me on that trip, and he took a laptop a computer. He was going to document everything. But that's back when they were about the size of a back satchel. You remember that? That's, he, he liked to throw it away two or three times. He was so sick that he took it. So anyway, so he said, yeah, it's tomorrow. And so we went there, and we drove out there. And there was these horsemen coming everywhere, and they had a flagstaff in there stirrups and is his flags and they were coming the first thing i saw was all these horsemen coming i asked mac i said max what's what's that he said well Alan, they go through the countryside three days before they're going to have a service that's how everybody knows and then they go all over just out from mexico city i said oh my goodness so as we were driving to this place had all these buses, people walking, people riding donkeys, people riding horses it just looked like a you know something you'd see in a old Charlton Heston movie or something. I couldn't believe it. Just all these people were moving towards that mountain. So we got to the to the hill. I call it, it's like a mountain or just a big hill. So we started walking up that hill. And the closer to the top of the hill you got, you felt, I mean, the presence of God was just like, oh my goodness, I don't think I'll make it to the top of the hill. You know, it's just you could feel just the presence of God. And you'd see people all over be laying down on the, their face to the ground and all that, and I'd look at them. And I, th- I was like, well, I, I get that, and I understand what's happening. So I went on up to the top of the hill, and you stood at the top of the hill, and you're looking. It's just a big valley. It looked like a big, huge amphitheater, I guess you could say, but it was acres. And people were all over that hill and that mountain. And down in the valley of that was a con- concrete slab and had a little awning over the top of it, and they had speakers just stuck up everywhere. I don't know how many people there. I bet you it's half a million. I've never seen nothing like it in my life. People in wheelchairs, crutches, just everything outside of Mexico City at the garbage dump. So we got over the hill, and we were standing there, and I was just like, I don't think I was breathing. I mean, I was just like, I, I, this, is, this is amazing. And these two or three guys walked up, had white sweaters on. I guess it was their ushers or something. You'd see them you know, scattered across the group, and they had these whites. Well, three of them came up uh, to me, and uh, they said, are you the farmer from the United States? I said, well, I'm a farmer from North Carolina, and, and he, said, he said, you're the one, you're the one. And I was like, what's he talking about? And um, 
So he said, follow us. So there was a little pathway down to the front, and it was a long ways. And as we started walking down that pathway, people started taking off their coats and laying them in the pathway. Well, I started stepping over them. And then the guy in the seat said, no, walk on them. I said, what? So as we walked down through there, and I thought, what in the world is this? So we got down there, but I noticed before we went down there, they were selling all these books of uh, Catherine Kuhlman, and it's all in Spanish, of, of all of the charismatic type authors where they had all these books up there at the front before you came over the hill. And I noticed, I couldn't read the Spanish, but I knew who the pictures were. And I thought, well, now, isn't it? now it was a Catholic priest. I thought, this, this is just so odd. Of course, you got to understand God was totally destroying every, you know, my whole clock was getting reset. And that's when I tell you, God's drugged me through Christianity. And he's so awesome that he'll do that. So we walked down to front, and so that priest guy, I guess he what he was, and he came over to me. He said, thank you for coming. I've been waiting on you. And I, I thought, well, I don't know what I thought. I just, I couldn't only breathe. And he said, and you have the message for us today. <laughs> I'm like, what? You got to be kidding. And I, this is what I remember. I remember thinking, I wish I'd have brought some sunglasses. The glory, this is the honest truth. I couldn't hardly keep my eyes open. I'd squint. The glory of God was so bright down there, you couldn't hardly see. I wondered why everybody had on sunglasses. I didn't have on sunglasses. But you squinted. You couldn't hardly. It was just incredible. And so they went on and done some stuff. And so then he told me to come up and I was to speak. So I don't know. I have no idea what I said. I said something. And then after it was over, then he got back up there, and, and all of that didn't last but 30, 45 minutes. And so then he said, now we will call for the Holy Spirit to come. I thought, I can't stand no more. I thought, I can't stand it. And the Holy Spirit just like that. And I saw people get up out of wheelchairs. I've never seen anything since. Now, and I'm standing here telling you, and I'm like, they're not going to believe what I'm saying. So incredible. I've never seen God do anything like that. I bet you there was 200 or 300 wheelchairs left up there. Crutches, are what you'd call a crutch, sticks. I'm sure Mary Jo and Dick know what I'm talking about. They just had sticks laying everywhere or crutches. So I give you that. I haven't been the same since. As far as the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do a lot more. We cannot even imagine what the Holy Spirit can do. You know, it wasn't so much about the healings, but... It was just his presence was just so tangible. Now, if heaven's a little bit like that, we're not going to be able to make it. We're going to have to have something glorified because we're not, you can't live through it. Now, why in the world do I get on all that? I'm five minutes late. Anyway, it has something to do with Revelation. Let's stand. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, we don't understand we can have some understanding of your word, and it's like I have no understanding of your spirit, but I believe as much in your spirit as I do your word. So, Lord, surprise us this morning is our prayer. Let your spirit come. Be part of our worship. If there's anyone saved, Lord, let them not make it out of the doors without encountering your presence, your spirit. If anyone's in here that needs healing, that needs gifts of the spirit, let them not leave here, Lord, without an encounter with your spirit. Let this day, oh God, be a day that you poured out at new life. Let us not wait for another, but let us encounter your outpouring of Acts 2. Let us experience the outpouring, the ongoing outpouring of your spirit. Let us, let us agree with your word. May us, let us encounter 
your truth. That the truths of this world that invades our minds and that keeps us away from your presence, that keeps us busy, that defiles the mind, that that we're trying to find religion. Dear God, religion is just a cloak that man creates to feel like we're close to you. Let all religion fall. Let your presence and your relationship with your people be tangible in this place is our prayer. And this house in agreement said, Amen. Amen and amen.